Welcome back to Common Fan Commentary. My name is Adam, I am your host, and today I'm joined by Ryan in the booth. How's it going, Ryan? Uh, doing well. I am doing well. Things are going great. And honestly, I'm just kind of excited to be back. Good to record again. Oh, I was just going to ask. I mean, uh, you took a little bit of a break there. I mean, how was it? I mean, time out of the podcast. You know, how's life going for you? Life's going well for me. Just uh, had a lot of moving parts. I just needed to find a little more inspiration. And I think I found that again. And I'm uh, really excited to talk sports. So doing well, a lot of refocusing, but life's going well now. We got a lot of football to talk about today. Big, big news coming from this offseason in college football, which was the conference realignment. Kind of shook the entire nation out of the blue, where Texas and OU are leaving the Big 12 to go join the SEC. Ryan, what is your take of just Texas and OU scrambling away and going to the big boys in the in the South? I think you know how how biased I am to the Big 12. I, you know, I grew up watching Texas all my life, full disclosure. Then I went to Baylor, and so I've been surrounded by Big 12 all my life. Uh, it's all I've really known. And so to hear teams wanting to move out, and, and really for what seems no more uh, than just more money, it's kind of shocking, and it, it's just not, it's not good for the sport. There's too many rivalries. There's too many. There's a lot of tradition there. And I, I think that was the biggest shock to me was, you know, you, you kind of take away some of that. And we saw that actually when Texas and Texas A&M, I mean, that used to be one of the best rivalries in Texas, you know, and then Texas A&M moves to the SEC. They no longer play each other because one of the two is scared to schedule it. It's just you lose a lot of that tradition. And I, I remember growing up and that was the game, you know, besides Texas OU, you know, it was Texas, Texas A&M. I think you're just going to see more of that. And I personally, I don't think it's good for the sport. But, you know, at the end of the day, money talks. Yeah. So I moved to Texas when I was little around the time that Texas was nationally relevant. So I'm heavy bias on this as well. I grew up watching SEC because both my parents went to SEC school. Honestly, I feel like it's a very chicken maneuver by Texas and OU. They felt like the Big 12 wasn't going anywhere, especially after A&M left. It feels like the Big 12 has been scrambling and trying to build the strength of that conference ever since right. they left. And I think they really messed up. I think what, you know, the whole thing that set this in motion, aside from Longhorns trying to create their own network and kick the rest of the Big 12 out. Um, Wait, that uh, wasn't it? No, no, no. I'm saying we're assuming this already happened. I think this is okay. like recent is when we had Baylor and TCU on the cusp of the first college football playoff. And the Big 12 commissioner, instead of having a championship game that year, or instead of using a tiebreaker to choose a definitive Big 12 champion, I'm talking this 2014-2015 football season here, instead of choosing a champion or using a game to decide it or something, they chose to make co-champions. And the co-champion rule basically booted the Big 12 out of the first ever college football playoff. And Baylor and TCU. Never that. Oh, absolutely. Selection Sunday on that. That was a rough I'll day. I'll never forget that. I flipped a coffee table that day. <laughs> and like that not, coffee I'm table. I'm to admit it. And like that coffee table, the Big 12 conference went with it. Because the yeah. only relevant team from the Big 12 conference since then has been Oklahoma. And I think that if we either got that year, if they chose a head-to-head as a tiebreaker, that Baylor would have been in. If they chose point differential, they would have TCU would have been in. Um, if they chose like points allowed versus conference opponents, I think TCU would have been in. Even as a Baylor fan, even if they chose TCU as the champion that year for some godforsaken reason, 
then the Big 12 would have probably had a, the four slot when Cardell Jones yeah. led Ohio State to win, win it all there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's honestly what doomed the Big 12, aside from, you know, the, the Longhorn Network stuff. This I think it's a lot to do with is, relevance. Yeah. You uh, know, I mean, that's just it. Like, you know, you have year in, year out, Texas has a, you know, top five recruiting class in the country, and they're not producing year in and year out. And, you know, you've had Baylor several years, uh, you know, on the cusp of greatness. And then, bam, scandal ruins that. You know, you have the Matt Rule era. Everyone's fired up again. We finally have a coach. Legs cut out from under that one. Like, there's a lot of things at play because, you know, TCU hasn't had the same success. Baylor seems to face another hurdle year in and year out. Texas, no one knows what's going on there. You know, like the the conference is just uh, Texas Tech. That was a super exciting team. Cliff Kingsbury had a lot of recruiting. They had Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and only won five games a year. And and that's that's just it, though. Like, but but they were exciting. You know, that's the thing, and and that was what made the Big Twelve relevant. You know, those that flavor they kind of lack it now. And I think that also plays into why Texas and OU want to jump ship because we've been doing the same thing over and over again. And yeah, there were some lulls, but I don't know. It just feels like they're leaving. They don't want to be part of the narrative anymore because the Big 12 really isn't like, I mean, you have people saying the Pac-12 is better than the Big 12 now. And that's just, honestly, it's kind of embarrassing. And it's a tough argument to make in favor of the Big 12, um, especially at, at the moment. But how do you think Texas and OU would fare in the SEC? Especially, Not well. Especially with the I mean, okay. way they loaded the SEC West, but they did move Bama over. I guess I shouldn't say not well, because these are premier programs. I mean, it's not like the 300-pound five-star blue-trip recruits that are going to Texas are that much different than the 300-pound five-star blue-trip recruits that are going to Alabama. But the thing is, is they still they, – they don't have the coaching. You know, I think OU, I think OU does. So do you, uh, do you huge... see OU contending for that SEC West crown like next year? Yeah, uh, and contending, I think they still lose three games. Uh, but fair. I think that they, I think they also win some big games though. See, that's that's the spice it adds because you know week in and week out the SEC's tough. It's tough to go down to Mississippi State. It's tough to go to Ole Miss. Like there's just a lot of road games with the atmosphere. It's just tough to do, even when those teams aren't that great. <laughs> and so. You know, Oklahoma, I think they have a huge advantage because they can knock off some of the big teams in the SEC when they have to go to Oklahoma. But, you know, I don't think they see the same environments in the Big 12. And I think that Oklahoma going on the road to some of those, you know, maybe not your premier SEC schools, I think it's just trap after trap for them. Like, it's hard to get up one week for Bama and then also show up the same way for Tennessee. I think OU can do good, and I think they'll compete well. And I, I don't uh, discount them winning the SEC West, but I, I just think that it's going to be a harder road to hoe than a lot of people think. And Texas will struggle. I do no think doubt. that it does make that this whole realignment does make the SEC more interesting too, because it puts a lot more competition in the East when it was just yeah. previously dominated by either Florida or Georgia and whoever won like the head-to-head, actually putting in Alabama and Auburn in there makes it a little more spicy. And that's, I right. think, what college football needed as a whole. Um, like this whole year even, with Clemson losing, with honestly Alabama looking rather beatable. I won't say that they're not great because they're playing out of their mind still, but 
Right. They look a little more vulnerable than years past with a true freshman quarterback. This year in college football is going to be real interesting, and it's going to shift the whole landscape, I think. You're just having these top programs struggling, and then these middle programs starting to exceed, like Arkansas. That's exactly what the sport needed, because I feel like the past few years have kind of really been stale with the same four teams being the college football playoff every single year. Like even Oregon's showing a lot of promise this year. I have no idea what to even look for the ACC anymore. Something different, because that's all I really root for. If I'm not rooting for my team, I want to see something I have not seen before. The past few years in college football, I felt like I've just been repeat Cavs Warriors finals every year. How many people watched the the third series of that? Because I did. (laughs) So seeing something different is always much more captivating. That's why everyone loved that LSU team. Because they were like, oh, it's it's not Bama. Finally, (laughs) we can watch someone else. Going back to the Big 12 a little, what do you think about new boys joining with Cincinnati, BYU, Houston? It's exciting. Okay, so BYU, they have, I wouldn't say they're like a super, super successful UCF. (laughs) Yeah, 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 that's the other one. Uh, Well, we can't forget, UCF won a national championship a few years back. Oh, right. (laughs) Even without playing in the national championship game, without ever playing in it. Yes. Because they beat beat Auburn, right? Yep. So we, we can't forget that we're bringing in a national champion, you know, within mm-hmm. the last 10 years. And yes, so, of course. No, but I, I think it's really exciting. BYU, uh, back to them, I, like I said, it's not like a, a super incredible program, but man, they've been competitive the last few years. I, I've watched them beat up on Texas, I mean, a few times in the last few years. I feel like they and play every bowl season. Is, is that just me, or do, does it feel like BYU and Texas always play in a bowl at some point? I'm telling you, I, I, well, it was in the schedule, I think, you know, two or three years back, and then, no, they played in a bowl, and it's like, you know, it just, it kind of felt familiar, but the other teams coming in, Houston, they're a really exciting program. I mean, they, in the past few years, have had a lot of good years, and I think coming up to the Big 12, or a little bit of a bigger conference with more exposure, I think you get more exciting coaches that actually stay at Houston. You know, that was that's the problem. They've had three outstanding coaches that have all left, and so uh, it's just tough for them, but I think coming up would help them quite a bit. And then UCF, I think it's super exciting. They're a good program. I mean, you know, obviously uh, they haven't had the success that they had, you know, a few years back, but at the same time, it's another exciting step. And so, you know, I think the Big 12 is doing the right thing, but, uh, you know, I, I just don't have a lot of faith in the fact that the conference can can truly succeed. I just like it that the Big 12 has 12 teams again. That's just, yeah, <laughs> that makes so much more sense. I do enjoy seeing these kind of teams join the Big 12, though, because they're always like UCF and Cincinnati in particular. They were always like a fringe team that they would never play anybody up until New Year's Six Bowl. And I always wonder, like, what if they played, you know, regular season games against? I think it actually introduces a, a lot more competition. I think the Big 12 is going to be beating up on itself, especially in football, the next couple years, just because I feel like a lot of these programs are really even with each other. And I think, honestly, it's going to make Big 12 football more exciting to watch because in this case, I don't know who's going to win any given game. And I do appreciate having Cincinnati and West Virginia as well. Like West Virginia always felt like the outlier, and now they have a little one-state-over rivalry. Right. And I'll say this. You know what it's huge for is basketball. Oh, yes. OU in Texas, like those programs, they're good programs. They're sound programs. Baylor coming off a national championship. Kansas, a perennial powerhouse. You're talking Houston, who last year was super exciting. Cincinnati, an absolute grinder 
an absolute grinder of a basketball team year in, year out. And the fact that they will be able to match up with West Virginia, I mean, they have a good, Bob Huggins has that team ready every single year. And then, you know, you talk about, there's just so much depth in basketball in the Big 12. And adding those few teams is going to be huge. It's easily the best conference. Easily. Yeah, easily. Easily. That is what fires me up. I mean, football, yeah, we live for it. But, um, you know, I still love some basketball. And that is going to be a dang good conference. I feel like it's going to be impossible to project, though, for just what seeds are going to be in March Madness. Cause I feel like there's just going to be so many trading home and away losses and just in big 12 play between, you know, Cincinnati BYU's um, and your typical Kansas Baylor's uh, that it it's going to be March is going to be hard to, to project what seeds. I think big 12 is going to have a lot of representatives in March, right? Even UCF and BYU, they'll, they'll scuff in at, you know, six and 10 seeds. Right. Every so often. Let's not forget tech. They're out there too. They got good. They right. got a good program out there. Um, even though Texas did poach their coach. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I can't, <laughs> even, I can't even list them all. Like, that's how much depth there. I mean, we, we haven't even talked about Iowa State. Mm-hmm. They're another great program. And so it's like you can't even talk about the entire depth of the basketball in Big 12. So a lot of Big 12 love here. A lot of Texas and OU hate as well, <laughs> officially <laughs> yep. on this podcast. Uh, an idea I had, though, that I, I kind of want to run by you. For the college football playoff, what do you think is the appropriate amount of teams? Eight. Eight. It's a perfect amount. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It is the perfect amount. You have five power five conferences, and then you have three at-large bids. So when we're trying to split hairs at the end of the year, when we're choosing that last team who's going to squeak into the playoff, it's a lot easier when you're trying to justify eight versus nine than four versus five, because there are five right. conferences. I don't know. understand why they haven't adopted eight yet there's been rumors of 12 and 16 and then like dumb numbers so people have buys and it's like no 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 eight is the perfect amount it adds one more game for us all to watch which is that's what the nfl did they added one game to the schedule so (laughs) just follow suit that i just need i need to get that out there because i don't understand why we're trying to introduce 12 or or whatever nonsense that they're trying to propose when eight is your perfect number I mean, it's just what makes you the most money. <laughs> even if I guarantee, even if we had 12 team, you know, something like that. The funny thing is they're still going to have all these dumb little bowls because it's oh, about sure. making the money. Oh, absolutely. You know I, yeah, that's why you have those five and the, seven versus six, six and six Bahama right, bowls like, or whatever. Yeah, like, but you concentrate it at the top. You know, it's it's just that's the scheme. That's how it works. And that's why I think they haven't changed, because, like, why would you change when you can get four mega teams every year in the, you know, quote unquote, final four? There are those people out there that are not going to watch the first two rounds of the playoffs. True. You know, like if UCF would have played Bama and that would have been interesting to UCF fans, essentially. Right. (laughs) <laughs> how can you maximize your profit and i think four games is perfect because you still have like the novelty of the final four and then not only that it's just it's really only three games and uh to to magnify three games is a lot easier than to try to magnify a lot more okay so along those lines i also would like a new system for the top 25 i agree the top 25 is so weighted on preseason rankings you know Arkansas, yes, deserves a high ranking this year, but we're shooting them up in the rankings because they beat guys based on their preseason rankings. And you want this poll to definitively 
select the best teams. Well, if I said the best teams right now, I'm not picking Clemson as a top 25 team. Yet they're still in there because of their preseason ranked two or one. Right. If you have a 500 record with four games in the season, you should not be in the top 25. Even if you mm-hmm. lost to Bama, even if you lo- even if your two losses are Bama and Georgia, get out of the top 25. No. Come back to me when you have a winning record. Right. No, I couldn't agree more. And Texas is also a big proponent of that year in, year out with the preseason of like, oh, they got in this great recruiting class. Let's rank them three. And it's like, why are we ranking them, you know, anywhere in the top 25 when they have yet to prove anything the last, right. you know, five, six seasons? They've lost, they've lost so, four games yeah. every year for the past six years. Yeah. It's like, well, are you and expecting so them to turn it around now? Again, they're not a top 25 team if they've finished that way every single year. You so, sell more tickets with a little number next to your name. That, and that's what I hate is every, <laughs> everything that like logically I'm trying to propose. The counter argument is just money. You just throw yeah. that back in my face. And I'm like, well, okay, I guess, I guess. I guess you're right. <laughs> but my top 25 system would be you retain the ranking you had last year. And then as soon as week one, week two, losses, aggressive change. If you're an undefeated team, you should be ranked higher than a team with three losses. I don't care what conference you're in. Now that it gets hard when you're splitting hairs between like Coastal Carolinas and UCFs and a better be team. Rankings should not come out till week three. Like the CFP? Like, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm talking about just overall rankings. Mm-hmm. Because my thing is, you know, you'll have your your newspapers, your sports centers, your whatever, putting out their unofficial rankings, you know, going into the season. But I like that. The unofficial rankings and looking at, like, what site you're getting that from, like, it just shows you who knows how to write about sports and who knows sports. And so I wish that their rankings didn't come out like no one was ranked going into the season. And then after three weeks of college football, finally they announced a top 25. Because that's the that's the most clear way, you know, three games, most teams, you know, you'll have your one, you know, dog fight in there, just a warm up. But then a lot of exciting teams have those big games on the front of the side of their schedule. And how much more do those games mean to those players when neither of them are ranked and they're trying to prove something? So I just think it'd be more entertaining if there was a little bit more, I don't know, suspense to it. Counter argument. You sell more tickets if you have a number next to your team. <laughs> but see, that's the thing. My business model, I'm trying to redesign sports media. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm trying to give, I'm trying to give them an outlet. Uh, maybe you make more money. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I haven't worked on the numbers yet. Let's recap our little college football segment off with a few hot takes I found. Number one, since we've talked so much about Texas and OU already, Sarkeesian is the guy for Texas after putting up 10 touchdowns on Texas Tech. You think he's the guy? That's what Twitter says. (laughs) Twitter's never wrong. Um, (laughs) I'm going to say cold take. I still don't feel like he's the guy. Sure, you put up 70 on a defense that ranks bottom of the Big 12, but i definitively say that if you put it up on a team, we'll have more than six wins at the end of the year. Sorry, Texas Tech, but too early to say. Way too early. He started off a lot better than Charlie Strong and Tom Herman did, but they still lost to Arkansas, and I'm going to run with that. Another future SEC school, Lincoln Riley from OU, is an overrated coach because... Every single quarterback that he's had that is successful have been miracle transfers that are all starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Struggling this year against people like Tulane because Spencer Rattler is a quarterback that actually had to develop under Riley. What do you say to that take? I disagree. Uh, Lincoln Riley, I have followed since he was a coach in Mule Shoe, Texas. 
where, um, which is you'll there. Have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Lincoln Riley is through and through a Texas-born coach. He came up through the Texas high school system. I had the chance to watch him win a state championship. Honestly, I think Lincoln Riley is a hell of a coach. I don't think Spencer Rattler is the guy. I, I firmly believe that. I think he is a very overrated quarterback. He really has never shown. I mean, you know, he does similar things to what we've seen from former OU quarterbacks. You know, he can kind of scramble, but he's not Kyler. He's not Baker. You know, he can throw, uh, you know, but he's not quite Jalen Hurts. He's not quite, you know, Baker in a sense. He's not quite. This is not there. And so I, I don't think I don't think he's the guy. I have full faith in Lincoln Riley. That is a very hot take for someone who has led OU to the college football playoff and won the Big 12 like 11 times out of the last 15 years. I, I think that is a pretty spicy take. And I do, I honestly have never had a good feeling about Rattler ever since QB1, the show on Netflix. <laughs> right. Because that man has a lot of attitude. And they always say the, uh, the best quarterbacks are the ones without it. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Even look at Jalen Hurts, man. Yeah. You want to talk about a dude who's seriously just praised over and over and over and over again for his work ethic and like the kind of work he did put in? You don't hear that stuff about Spencer Rattler. I mean, even, you know, Baker and Kyler, like even Baker, he had, you know, that that personality that came with it. But at the same time, like he got the job done and he was, you know, he you heard a lot about that dedication. And I just don't think he has that same mentality. I think he has a lot of great football talent. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I think he has a lot of that prodigal son mentality that kind of Trevor Lawrence had, you know, where he's never had to prove something. He's never had that chip on his shoulder. Even if he claims he does, I don't think he ever has because he's always been the number one recruit. He's always been the number one quarterback. He's like, he's never been that tested. You know, if, Mm -hmm. if he had to earn his role, earn his starting spot, like truly, instead of just, oh, Jalen's coming in and then we'll have Rattler after that. If he truly had to fight for that, like Baker did after transferring mm-hmm. out, after Kyler did when A&M didn't work out, after Jalen Hurts lost his starting role at, at Bama, I think he's never had that necessarily that moment. Right. I think that's why we're seeing OU not being able to put away opponents they should be putting away by a lot. I don't think that's really on Lincoln Riley, though. You know, it, it's just kind of early, too. I mean, as much as I hate to say that, because like you said, we're through four weeks, but like they're always a team that they're turning it on late. I mean, that's where OU is known. As much as I want to see a demise, I want to see, you know, Baylor be the best, <laughs> um, even though I know that's, you know, not really that realistic. I, I think OU turns it on. And honestly, I'll tell you what week they're going to do it, too. It's when they play Texas at the State Fair. I'm calling it now. They beat Texas by at least three touchdowns, and it's not really close. Ooh, all right. Okay, okay, we'll see. Switching over to NFL professional football. We got... Here we go. After week three, uh, we had a... Honestly, this year has been really interesting because it has defied expectations for a lot of teams that if you're a fan of them, you might need to worry, even though you never have. So we're just going to go through some of those teams we're going to call these panic button teams. All right. So basically I just want to know how much do you need to hit the panic button? If you're one of these teams, Ryan, first one's the Seattle Seahawks. I'm hitting the panic button. And here's why the Cardinals and the Rams are outstanding. I was not pleased with Jimmy Garoppolo in 
San Francisco. And I think that Seattle or finishes above San Francisco, which I know may sound a little bold. San Francisco has a very elite defense, but I truly believe in Russell Wilson. And I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in football. But the Rams and the Cardinals, they're going to be very, very hard to catch. And to go on the road and try to beat those teams, uh, that's going to be super difficult. Because I'll tell you, the Cardinals have a very underrated defense. And then the Rams have the best defense in the NFL. And a big thing that you were mentioning about both those teams and why their defenses are so good is that front seven from each of them. Yeah. And the one thing I think the Seahawks don't have right now is offensive line. Russell Wilson running ever. (laughs) Russell Wilson has run ran for his life every year in the NFL. Absolutely. I'm surprised that man hasn't torn a hamstring on how much he's had to run. Exactly. They approach their offseason and trying to please Russell Wilson after he, you know, leaked that kind of trade the trade teams he wanted to go to. And they tried to tweak the offensive line and they got a couple guys that are, you know, solid pieces like Dwayne Brown, he's doing okay. As a unit though, they're not that much better than they were last year. And that should terrify Seattle fans because DK so Metcalf too. is huge and makes plays and Tyler Lockett will always have three receptions for a hundred yards and a touchdown at the end of the day if someone's in your backfield all the time that's not going to go well and with people like Aaron Donald who you'll be seeing twice a year JJ Watt Chandler Jones you should be terrified if you're a Seattle fan because you're going to be squeaking for that second wild card spot and thank goodness that there's a second wild card spot for you because you might be squeaking in at you know ten and seven, nine and eight, and even and see a, that- even against the Vikings, they were having trouble. Who they have a solid front seven, their and their secondary is what's not great. So and you saw what happened to them. So the fact that they can't handle an elite front seven is probably just going to be their downfall this year. And not only that, but you got to look at the games coming up. So the next six games, next six games for the Seattle Seahawks, you got on the road at the 49ers. That's going to be a tough one but you've got to win that. Then they've got the Rams at home. Then they have the Steelers who have got off to a horrible start. But if TJ Watt plays. Exactly. I mean, things could change. And then you have the Saints, the Jaguars, and then the Packers. You know, you've got two, three games in there. There's four games they have to win. The only ones they can even ponder losing are the Rams and the Packers. And I mean, still, even at that point, to have four losses and only about five wins, I mean, you're not sitting pretty. And so I would be hitting the the panic button as a as a Seahawks fan. Until you can fix that dang O-line. All right, so this one might be a little easier. How about... The team that is last place in the AFC West, Kansas City Chiefs. No, they're they don't have to hit it yet. No, they're they're still a very very good team. They've lost two really close games, really close games. I mean, Ravens beat them on a field goal. The Chargers, you know, forced them, you know, forced them into downs late in the game, and even questionable time management on the Chargers. They even gave Patrick Mahomes the ball back with a chance. But the see the thing about the the Chiefs is. Their upcoming schedule, not nearly really as scary. I mean, they got the Eagles, they've got the Bills. That's going to be a super competitive game. But I think since it's at home, I give the Chiefs an edge there. And they got the Redskins. They don't have the offense to beat the Chiefs. The Titans, that'll be a good one. And then the Giants. Oh, yeah, the football team. Uh, (laughs) Honestly, I, you know, I, so I'm not worried if I'm the Chiefs. I, I think they've still got the juice. I mean, the only thing I am worried about is maybe the Raiders are for real. 
because they've looked really, really good. I mean, granted, they tried to lose their week two game, but they tried to lose last game too <laughs> against Jacoby. Yeah, Brissett. yeah, that is, that is true. And so it's like, are they for real? I'm not worried if I'm the Chiefs because I don't, I don't think the Broncos are for real. I'm not buying into that one yet. And then the Chargers, I just can't put together. I think maybe it's they're still young. Herbert. He's a great quarterback. They've got a lot of talent, the wide receiver and the running back position. And then, you know, their defense is good, too. So early this season, I feel like Patrick Mahomes has been playing a lot more risky when he doesn't need to. He's kind of trying to make those miracle plays. Uh, We saw him throw that interception on a no look pass when he didn't have to make a no look pass. And I feel like he's just trying to play a little too video game like trying to extend plays too far i mean we've seen him make those plays this time it's just he's trying to do it too much and he needs to play a little more safer and andy Reid's a great coach he'll clean that up especially when it comes yeah. to late in the stretch my question is their defense i mean their secondaries look god awful aside from tyron matthew uh, what else do they have not much i think that's the only worry i'd have for them but you, you have what could potentially be the best offense in the nfl yeah. so you don't need to worry there and he threw in a little spice of Josh Gordon. I can't wait to see if that pans out. Or he gets suspended indefinitely in, <laughs> in, in three Again, weeks. Yeah, that's true. All right. Chicago Bears next on our panic button list. I should always be panicking. <laughs> the, the franchise is just <laughs> laughable. The Bears don't even get, I mean, where do I start? Like, they've been praying that Rodgers was never going to return since, like, the immediate end of last season. Not only that, uh, they started their QB way too early. I d- also Hard I do agree. not trust. I do not trust a Matt Nagy developed quarterback. Like <laughs> I feel bad for Justin Field. And you know, I was telling some folks because like I do believe he's an exciting player, but it's too early. You know, and and the greatest example I will stick by uh, is Patrick Mahomes. Like you see how good that dude is, and everyone said it. Oh, he could start year one, and he sat behind Alex Smith, and he trusted Andy Reid, and now he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. That's how you raise a quarterback. And so uh, I think the Bears just, they continually make every wrong move. They're absolutely wasting Allen Robinson's career. Yeah, and Khalil Max. I mean, they have a good defense, but that's just, at the end of the day, you can't win games racking up, what, 60 yards on offense? They had one net passing yard. Yeah, that's just, that's embarrassing. Panic button should be a hit. I think it should have been hit when you signed Andy Dalton and Nick Foles in the same offseason. This is also the team that drafted, uh, <laughs> gosh dang Mitch it, I Trubisky. can't even think of it. Yes, Mitch Trubisky instead of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Very true. And, and, then, and then not only that, I think it was two years later, two years ago, they could have signed Jameis Winston or Cam Newton for a veteran minimum and had a formidable starting QB. Instead, what do they do? They go spend millions on Nick Foles. Oh, that franchise is laughable, Adam. Absolutely. Especially, I think this year, Matt Nagy took over play calling for the offense, which is going swimmingly. <laughs> and it's so frustrating because this team has a lot of promise. But my thing is, you were definitely right, too, in saying that Justin Fields has started way too early. Like, he is a very raw prospect. Even coming out of Ohio State, everyone could see that this guy's got a big arm, he's quick. He makes decent decisions, but NFL ready? No. That's why he fell all the way to the Bears. It's a, it, it's just a repeat of Mitch Trubisky. If yeah. you went into this season saying Andy Dalton won't get hurt, he got hurt last year. He only started half the season, and he still got hurt. 
And you think that, oh, throwing Justin Fields in there will go fine, especially against Cleveland, who has the be- one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, in Miles Garrett. It's like, no wonder he, he got four and a half sacks alone. Nine total for the team. You know, let's let's just branch out to the rest of the NFL, too, because not Justin Fields is alone here. It's the rest of the rookie class that everyone was hailing as maybe one of the best ever. Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville, Zach Wilson with the Jets. Trey Lance is doing it right by sitting behind Jimmy G. Yep. Getting some plays every once in a while as a gadget player. Justin Fields with the Bears. uh, Mac Jones with the Patriots. So all these guys, I think, are struggling because they're not on complete teams. I think Jacksonville has brand new coach who's brand new to the NFL. There's going to be a lot that's going to happen that's not going to go well. So I think getting rid of Gardner Minshew was a little knee-jerk on them. Um, I agree. Honestly, maybe let Trevor Lawrence learn a little before just throwing him into the fire. Zach Wilson, I mean, they didn't even have a quarterback to start over him coming into the season. I think between their their quarterback room, three QBs, coming into the season, they had a total of nine NFL snaps. And that team has been garbage since I think I've been alive. Actually, the only time was Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez. And then, <laughs> so they have a decent wide receiver core there, but they don't have an offensive line to protect him either. Justin Fields doesn't really have an offensive line either. And he has terrible coaching. So what's he supposed to do with that? And I think Mac Jones, he has an an incredible offensive line. He just doesn't have receivers. All these guys who are starting right now, Trey Lance is the only guy who's sitting pretty. I'm going to be a great quarterback next year when they actually start me. I'll actually have a system around me. I'll have a good good coaching staff, and I'll have great players around me. I'll just have an injured running back room all the time. I think out of all those rookie quarterbacks, they're just not complete teams. And throwing these young kids out of college, clearly you're going to see these struggles. And Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's the game speed, too. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the game speed. I mean, you're talking about going from college to NFL. It, it, it's just like, I'm sure you can actually relate to this being new in the professional world. You know, we're, we're young guys. Like, you know, we came into the professional world. You're not expected. Like your boss didn't throw you out there day one. And it's like, Adam, I expect you to be a producer immediately. No, you get trained. You go through all this because guess what? Everyone you're competing with out there is experienced. And so it's just like the NFL. You know, you get there, you've got people in that locker room that have been doing it for seven to 10 years. They know their job. They know how to do their job really well. And so that's why the speed of the game is unreal compared to college. And so to expect these players to come in, produce day one without having any sort of like training, so to speak, uh, it's just unfair to ask. And that's that's what I've said for years. You know, you rarely see quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, thrive in those situations. I mean, look at RG3 and Andrew Luck. Two exciting quarterbacks came out, almost started immediately, were great. But they took a lot of shots being on those bad teams. They took a lot of hits. And, you know, by the time they were ready to actually be great in the NFL, like they'd finally grasped everything, their body had given up on them. And I'm scared... Same thing for Justin Fields. I mean, how many times was he sacked last week? Nine times I think last week. Nine times? No one. Your quarter. I'd walk back in that locker room as a quarterback, and I wouldn't talk to a single O lineman for weeks. <laughs> like, if you're gonna let me get sacked nine times, the system's not working right now. But like, what kind of shots are these young QBs taking? What kind of bad reps are they getting? What kind of habits are they developing that aren't good? So uh, I just think it's it's tough to really expect. You know, it's not, this isn't the NBA. You can't just 
come out of college and immediately drop 20 points a game. Like, it's not that easy. Yeah, I feel bad for the rookie QBs, but I think the one out of all of them uh, that is most likely to be successful, besides Trey Lance, I, I think he's going to be the yeah. best one. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be the best one. But I actually think, based upon like what I've seen, it's going to be Zach Wilson. Actually. Um, Actually, yeah, I mean, because Trevor Lawrence has thrown the most uncatchable balls in the NFL (laughs) over the first four weeks. You've got Mac Jones, who just doesn't look like he knows what's going on at all. But I'll say, like, Zach Wilson, there's times, and especially with, you know, Jamison Crowder coming back, I think there's light at the end of that tunnel because, like, there's some throws I've seen him make where I'm like, wow, yeah, that that can work. Even the four interceptions he threw last week? Uh, yeah. Hey, gunslingers are going to do it. I'm a big proponent of Jameis Winston. He, I mean, shoot, he throws the most interceptions out of anyone. But I think it that that kind of learning versus scrambling around getting sacked nine times, those are two different kind of developments. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as much as I, I, you know, four interceptions, yeah, that's not great. But, you know, he's not Nathan Peterman. He didn't throw five. Um, yeah, that's no, true. I'm just, I'm just like, I, I think that he has the potential to be the best. But, yeah, Trey Lance, I mean, uh, what they're doing there, Shanahan, I mean, he's an offensive genius. Like, he knows he's developing a quarterback and he's doing it the right way. And and also, your coaching has a lot to play to, play to that as well. And so, I'm excited to see how the rest of the season goes for those guys. The record for most interceptions in a season. James, during, baby. during his rookie during a rookie campaign with none other than Peyton Manning. So, yep. I mean, there's there's light at the end of tunnel for all these guys. They just need the right coaching. And James Winston. And that's why I think all... that's why I don't think I'm not totally sold on the Zach Wilson yet, because Robert Sala was a great defensive coordinator. I don't know how well that's going to translate into developing you know, BYU coming straight out of a BYU system into the NFL. And I mean, that's why he's making all these errant throws and trying to extend plays way farther than they should. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, they do have some playmakers on that offense, at least. They have a middling offensive line and they just can't keep their defense healthy at the same time. But I do think Zach Wilson could be successful like Sam Darnold if he gets out of the Jets organization altogether. Right, right. As we wrap up NFL talk, I need to uh, respond to a fan question of I was a big proponent of saying the Cincinnati Bengals should have drafted Penny Sewell with their first round pick instead of Jamar Chase. And now Jamar Chase has four touchdowns on the year is doing really well and connecting with Joe Burrow. And I, I just felt like I had to mention this because I know I know I've received some flack from certain a certain Bengals fan that's out there and hopefully listening. Jamar Chase, especially last week where he had two touchdowns, is playing well with Joe Burrow because Jamar Chase is a great receiver. I'm not contesting that. But the fact that they passed on what could potentially be a franchise left tackle for an offensive line that is garbage and injured him in his rookie year with a torn ACL and MCL is concerning that you would select a receiver over a left tackle. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about this because we also saw the same thing uh, in Dallas two years ago when they took CD lamb when they definitely had some linemen on the board that would have bolstered that offense. But Um, they had an offensive line that didn't get their quarterback injured for the year. What do you mean? I mean, Dak literally was destroyed last season. I mean, granted, yeah, he was scrambling, but that Cowboys team last year looked horrible. Even when he was playing in the beginning of the season, they looked so bad. That offensive line was not doing well. I mean, Zeke last year running the ball, abysmal. 
worst career, worst season he's had as a pro. You could easily look and say, "Wow, was C.D. Lamb the pick?" And I'd say yes. Jamar Chase. They were, they were, but but the Cowboys were like seventeenth on the board at that point. Bengals were at four. <laughs> right. For every spot that went before them, they already have a touchdown this season from that person. Okay. And like, I, I don't know if that's a great argument, but I, I love Jamar Chase. Like, I think you can go out and you can sign a seasoned veteran, you know, left tackle in the offseason. I, I can't didn't. speak to But they didn't. But Their offensive can. line is trash. <laughs> and the only reason that Chase has been lighting it up is because last week they played the Steelers, who didn't have TJ Watt and can't get to the passer without him kind of overrated when they were coming into the season and so far yeah they've connected a few times but how many games is it until joe burrow takes one more shot we're talking about how much what's better what's better for development getting sacked or throwing you (laughs) the justin fields treatment here ah i don't know it's yes and no i mean the thing about the the Bengals is their schedule is cake this year Cincinnati Bengals, like I'm, I'm behind it. They've got a lot of talent. I think, yeah, they do need to fix the offensive line. That's definitely a must. But I think this is a cool team in the future. And this was the first year that I actually bought into Cincinnati in fantasy because they have a lot of offensive assets. I mean, Mixon, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. I mean, like, wow, yeah, it's like they already had in. a bunch of receivers, and then they went out and got but another. They, didn't. they lost AJ Green. <laughs> Like they lost their franchise receiver. I mean that that's what happened. Like you know, they... after his prime though, um, I will shut up about this. If they go out and get an offensive line, like if they go out and you know get some guys at the deadline to help help that core, I'll totally retract this statement. But until I know Joe Burrow's not going to die back there, I'm not bought in. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I because I I'm a big proponent of having a good offensive line. So. I, I get what you're saying because I've seen, I know, you know, being a Packers guy, yeah, I know how much Bakhtiari means to Rodgers. I get that. And so I, I don't disagree with the take. Your Bengals friend out there is not wrong, but he is wrong. So <laughs> it is what it is. Well, I have you on. Uh, we're kind of run running low on time here. Well, I have you on. We got MLB playoffs coming up. I just want to know what is your projected World Series right now? All right. World Series matchup. I mean, personally, I think out of the AL, uh, it's going to be the Houston Astros. I absolutely love the Astros I have for the last few years. And honestly, I'm glad they're responding to some criticism. Truthfully, I wish they would play the Dodgers so they could beat the Dodgers again because no one likes the Dodgers. <laughs> um, but honestly, out of out of the NL, man, and this, this may come as a surprise, I think the World Series representative from the National League is going to be the St. Louis Cardinals. You know, as crazy of a take that would be a month ago, that makes a lot right. of sense now. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Uh, you know, but you could make the argument, though, like, you know, because there's a lot, like Atlanta, they're a great team. You know, granted, they lost Acuna. The Brewers, I mean, they may have the best pitching staff in baseball. And then, you know, the Giants, the Dodgers, fantastic. And so I, I still think St. Louis has got a big road to climb, but this has got one of those feels of like a 2010 12 mm-hmm. Giants team. They've got that devil magic that they always have. Yeah. Late in September, yeah, October. Exactly. And like, you know, they've got role players right now that are performing and, you know, they're doing it for Yachty, you know, last couple years of his career as a captain. And, you know, they've got Wainwright on the hill, which gives me that like that bum garner vibe with the later Giants. Like they've got, you know, that the Bader, 
who is just, I think, a big parallel to like a Hunter Pence. Like, uh, I think Hunter this Pence St. Louis team is cool. I mean, they clearly rattled off, what, 16 in a row? So yeah. th- they've got something going, and it, it's not totally apparent just in the box score. They're a team that no- knows how to win at the moment, and uh, getting hot right before the playoffs is the perfect formula we're going deep in the playoffs, I think. So exactly. I'd hate to agree with you there. I, I really want to save my Braves, but no shot. No shot with that bullpen. As soon as they pull yeah. the starting pit, as soon as they pull Charlie Morton or Max Freed, they're done. <laughs> they're giving up all the runs. But, man, yep. I, I have to say the Dodgers are probably gone for me. Is uh, Just because Scherzer has been pitching like a god <laughs> since going there. And they have Clayton Kershaw going like four or five innings just to get him some reps. You're telling me one of the greatest pitchers of our generation is just pitching for some reps at this point, while the other greatest pitcher of our generation is just going to win the Cy Young? Okay, cool. And Great. Right. And <laughs> even with their hitting struggles this year between Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, even Max Muncy has been cold at times, they always wake up in October. They always oh, yeah. do, you know? Hard to say against them. And if I say they will go to the World Series, I will hopefully jinx it and it will be wrong. <laughs> One time, one time. (laughs) It was great having you on, Ryan. Always a good time. Thank you so much for your time, bro. Of course, brother. I always enjoy it. You know, as usual, signing off, you can find me on Twitter at RyanB6. Go Gunners. Arsenal, we're primed for a big year. Just top the Spurs. (laughs) Rough. And uh, (laughs) thank you again for having me. And uh, hopefully we will catch you all next time. And this is us signing off. And I still don't know how to do an outro. God dang. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you put that in there. I probably will. (laughs)